Good morning, monster. Fancy bullshit immortal people. It's Dodge the musical. Definitely some acid going on somewhere. Lots of plastic bags in the future. You know, bougie douchey. It's you that gives me the penic erection. Surely the actors aren't this bad. Runs her finger through his sweaty chest hair. Fire the baby bag bullshit. Then, like, basically, everybody dies. Broadcasting live from inside Vortex 4, this is The Blah. In this episode, everybody dies. I'm your host, the Wolverine, along with Yar Higo. Hello. <laughs> and and C-Lab forever. What's going on? Welcome to the show, folks. This week we're talking about the 1974 classic, cult classic, <laughs> super weird. Neither of those things. Zardoz. <laughs> Zardoz. And I am very excited to talk about this movie. I've got my mustache comb. I've got many pages of notes. A lot of boobs in this movie. There's definitely a couple of taters in this movie. Holy shit. That was, I was going to say that was a movie, but it wasn't kind of a movie. That was something. I'm I'm starting to hate the film because I, after watching it two full times. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. I I really started to appreciate what John Borman was trying to do with this movie. And there's a lot of cool concepts in this movie. The biggest problem is that it's super low budge and it was shot in 1974. I mean, there's some really cool stuff going on. And I'm pissed about that because I wanted this just, just to be the weirdest weird fest ever so we could have fun slicing and dicing it with the uh, Chef Tony knives. You know what I mean? And <laughs> The slap chop? That's why I'm upset about it. Yeah, with the slap chop, the Chef Tony knives, the Ginsus. Don't forget Ooh. the Ginsus. Charhigo knows what I'm talking about. It'll cut through a can and still cut through a tomato. <laughs> That's right, man. All right, so I'm cutting tomatoes. Jarhigo's cutting cans. I don't know. Like that. That's what I think about this movie is that I started to get it. And then I got upset because it would make it harder for me to make fun of it. That's my that <laughs> Fair that is my opening salvo. Yeah, my first reaction when the movie was over was that was the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life. And then reading about it, I kind of started picking up on some of the stuff he was going for, and like like you said, like I don't know, it's just like it's I don't know, man. It's uh, I don't know what I expected, but. As I mentioned previously, all I had was that image of Sean Connery in a mankini with bullets strapped to his nip-nips. Dude, mankini. Nice. But I don't know. I think I was kind of picturing like a Barbarella, and it turned into like a high-concept piece that they gave to some really shitty dance troupe, and were like, make a movie out of this. And you end up with all these like weird hand gesture, dancey, bullshit, immortal people. <laughs> And it just, like, it was just, yeah. Lots of 70s interpretive dance. Oh, man, it was just horrifying. Yeah, it was in in its execution in parts, but I, that is how I felt as well. I started going through the second viewing, and I was like, I, I get what he's trying to do here. I get what he's trying to do here. And then I was like, well, this is actually pretty cool. And then I was like, well, it'd be really cool to remake this because a lot of these concepts are really interesting, man. You know, it's like a it's like a high concept art piece. You know, it's mm, it's definitely that it's like you, you made these great movies. Now, here's some money. You can go make whatever you want, which is, you know, very much kind of the habit of Hollywood, at least back in the day. Definitely not now. And this is what he chose to make. This is coming from 
you know, well, actually, you know what? Let me just, and I want to hear from old Ben Higo. Oh, do you mean old Ben Higo? Yeah, I wonder if he means Char Higo. That old wizard's just a crazy old man. <laughs> hey, you ended up watching this uh, earlier on and then chatting with us last week. been like, hey, I watched Zardoz and then chose to not say a single word about it so as not to ruin our first view. I'm very curious where you were that time. Yeah. Well, you know, after many, many years of seeing this and passing by it in a uh, video store, because who wants to watch a movie that has Sean Connery in like a red diaper? <laughs> not me. Um, and, you know, then <clears throat> then uh, eventually seeing some uh, the trailer for this movie somewhere down the line, just like, oh, my God, that was like the most 70s weird schlock fest of all time. <laughs> and in some regards, it is. But uh, after the first watching of it, I was like blown away at how pleasantly surprised I was with it. Really? It was much better than I thought it would be. Not to say that it's not weird. Um, yeah. <laughs> not to say that it's not like totally a B movie, but it actually has some redeeming qualities. Like Kev was saying, the uh, some of the ideas and the, the concepts and, you know, I think uh, what Borman was going for was really interesting. Um, and I think they were definitely limited by the kinds of tech and the budget, obviously, that they had to work with. Mm, yeah. The writing was a bit navel-gazy, too, which kind of let, let the overall concepts down from time to time. Um, what does that word mean, Chad? Navel-gazy? Yeah, what does that mean? Uh, I don't know, like the Webster Dictionary, but I just picture it's like someone who's thinking so hard while like picking their belly button lint out and just being like, doop to doop you know, like thinking really fucking hard about something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that navel. <laughs> oh. I thought you were talking about like, uh, you know... A sea captain on a con tower with like That's a pair of I binoculars. <laughs> like a ship's captain <laughs> with a fucking telescope looking around for a good movie. <laughs> there you go. No, looking around for the better dialogue. There you go. Searching the oceans. Yeah, it's uh, Sean Connery from Hunt for, Red Octro- Hunt for Red October. It's Sean Connery looking through his periscope. Yeah, through his Russian periscope. Again, echoing what Ben and I said earlier, just there are a lot of redeeming qualities to this movie. (laughs) So echoing myself, I'm just going to repeat myself. Echoing myself, (laughs) because I love to hear myself talk. Jesus. There's a lot of redeeming qualities to this movie, and I will talk about them at length as we go through this masterpiece. $1.5 million is nothing. It is so little money. It's pretty low. Ben made a comment about the budget towards the end of his uh, opening salvo. And that is so little money. And what he was able to achieve with that very little money was pretty damn impressive, man. Yeah. Yeah, what What do you mean? Like, what was he able to achieve? Right. What, are, are you asking me seriously? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not even being flippant. Like, the cinematography, the cast, the, like, what, what kind of comes to mind when you say that? Okay. Great question. So it's the giant paper mache head. <laughs> that was a million dollars. Sean Connery was a couple hundred grand. So that didn't leave much. Exactly. So um, what I mean is that you know we we all agreed and we all could see that this is like a high concept film. Then this is science fiction before the age of Star Wars, which kicked off you know arguably the a, a different direction of science fiction. That's true. And you know what he was trying to do with like. The people being aged, 
and the crystal technology, even the head flying around, like I, these special effects are, are actually really good. There's a lot of, I mean, yeah, this movie's weird. The costumes are definitely weird, but the special effects are actually really good for 1974 on this kind of budget. Mm. And he got really creative with what he was able to do um, to supplant not having a lot of money. And I thought it worked great. It was super cool. Like, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, this is cheesy, fine. But, like, the whole idea of, like, you know, walking inside of the pyramid crystal and being inside the pyramid crystal, which is really where the sort of the climax of the film ends as well, it was all pretty inventive, man, you know? And it's like, you, you got to get inventive when you're working with that little money. And I think he really did a great job. And honestly, the old person makeup was fantastic. I mean, it was really good. Hmm. Friend had half of his face kind of olded up, aged up. Which I didn't understand at all. No. I didn't really get that either, but like I, I sort of got what they were going for. It's like, okay, we're going to partially age you. And for some reason, they just did like half his body, which I thought was. Do you think they did it so that you would still recognize him? I kind of do. Yeah. I kind of do because he was more of a central character, you know? And yeah, if they just changed the casting altogether, it would have been pretty confusing, probably. Absolutely. And if the makeup was weird, you know, or it didn't look enough like the original actor, I think people would have gotten confused. So I thought that makeup was great. I also thought that the just the old person makeup in general was really good because we get to see the original scientists at one point in their younger forms. And it's obvious that the the seniles, those same scientists, are you know, aged with makeup. And I actually thought that they were old people. And until the second viewing, when they do that flashback scene to the scientists being younger, and I was like, wait a second. I was like, wow, that's really good makeup work, especially, again, for such a low budget, you know? So a lot of interesting things going on here. And and again, because this is the 70s as well, this really, and this is one of my later notes as I was finishing up my notes run last night, this movie really plays like a theater piece. Now, I know you guys are not huge theater people, but having done as much theater as I've done, this is, it almost plays out like you would watch a play on stage, and it was like sort of taken and then filmed in a location. I could, I could actually envision an adapt, a stage adaptation of this movie. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So that that's what I that's my sort of long winded response, Chad. Which would be somebody get, somebody get on that. That would be amazing. That'd be pretty <laughs> sick. I'd check that out, dude. I would be totally into that. I would be totally into put, getting some more chest hair put on so I could play Zed. It's Jardage the musical. It's <laughs> Jardage commands it. Can I put my hand up and be the guy in the baby blue corset with his nipples hanging out? Can I, can I be that guy? Yes, definitely, dude. Most certainly. I, I just I just pictured you in that outfit, Chad, and it's, <laughs> it's a sorry. pretty funny mental picture. <laughs> I apologize for that visual. But in but in the visual, you're smiling. Your your smile is like nearly ear to ear because it's so ridiculous. Mm. I'm like eyes up here, guys. And you're you're so you're having so much fun with it, you know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah. I uh, got. I watched a video from uh, George Ruckel Schmidt about about this movie, and he made a comment that was something along the lines of "There are entirely too many nipples in this film." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Right? <laughs> That's a lot of nipples. There's a lot of nipples in this film. That is for sure. I think there's a perfect little mini segue there, just to uh, 
maybe a synopsis. I think a, an attempt at a synopsis would be valuable and potentially quite funny <laughs> if it fails badly. I just want to circle back for one second to the budget um, because this film had a budget of $1.5 million since 1974. And I mentioned before that Star Wars came out just three years later and ushered in, you know, an entire new era of science fiction. Now, the budget for Star Wars was only $11 million. I just looked this up. Yeah, right. Now, that's quite a bit more, but really not a lot of money in and of itself. Now, we've talked budgets in a lot of the 80s films that we've done, and they were pretty low, like 12, 15 sometimes 20. So I guess in that context, 11 million is a lot, you know, but Lucas was making something really very similar. It was a weird high concept science fiction film that nobody understood, you know, Mm. and kind of like Borman, he just plowed through and was like, you know, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, so, so again, for $1.5 million, I think John Borman was able to make some very interesting creative decisions to visually portray what he was trying to do in the script. And I find that not only very cool, but also very admirable. I'll talk about the contrary later when we get to the weird do-rags on the head, okay? (laughs) But for now, let's get a little synopsis of this incredible film from our good friend, Yar Higo. In the future... Society is striated. There are the, uh, are they called the Eternals? Yeah, I think so. Yes, there are the Eternals, which are basically like immortal post-humans who, even if they die, their consciousness is somehow re-uploaded into a new body. This is kind of a problem as they've all been alive for a very long time now, and many of them are just becoming antisocial and kind of psychotic and want to die, one of which... Arthur Frayne decides to have some fun with the common folks, and he creates a god called Zardoz. <laughs> Zardoz. <laughs> nice. Which which um, commands a group of the common people, known as the Exterminators, to take control and go around and kill everyone. And one of which, Sean Connery, sort of breaks out of his spell and goes forth to have uh, an adventure and fulfill his destiny. Yeah, wreak havoc. That's a really shitty description, but that's basically <laughs> it. Nice synopsis, Benny. I don't think I could have done half as good of a fucking job. <laughs> it's such a confusing movie, but the um, <laughs> agree. The only other high level thought I've got is um, after I watched it, I was trying to figure out how I felt, and I wrote um, that it's like a science museum gave a teenage me three hits of acid and hired me to make an exhibit. <laughs> this is like indirect response to the like um bruce lee mirror fucking room at the end where it's just like a really weird Mm. science museum fucking thing with a bunch of people in speedos and i uh i felt very confused after watching this yeah this definitely definitely has a tinge of lsd there's a little bit of there's definitely some acid going on somewhere in the creative process yeah they baked it into that green bread exactly And then um, my final proto-pre-nugget is that um, it doesn't matter, <laughs> but Zardoz has a higher rating on Rotten Tomatoes than Predator 2, which was very baffling to Holy me. Sh- 
I had that exact same nugget, dude. I was like, I could not believe that this rated higher than Predator 2. Zardoz is a 45 on Rotten Tomatoes and Predator 2 is a 29. And I just like, yep. I can't fucking believe that. I couldn't believe that wow. either. I don't know. I think we covered we covered as much as we can. I agree with you generally that it is obviously going for the art housey, art PC kind of thing. The theater idea is interesting. It makes a lot more sense through that, you know, lens. But uh, I don't know. I reckon we should just dig into this beast. Yeah, I mean, Zardoz the musical, that's right up there with the Planet of the Apes the musical. Is hey. there a Planet of the Apes the musical? On The Simpsons, there is. Ah. And they do, like, a solid little bit of it. Like, they really put the effort in, and it's hysterical. That's awesome. I have to check that one out. I'll send a, I'll send a link over to that. Yeah, do. Yeah, I had a lot of... It's interesting how... Well, it's interesting to me, anyway, like, how, how the notes, my notes went... Because as I watched it twice, I started to really understand it and see what he was trying to do and, and kind of change my tune a little bit in terms of what I was writing down. But there's still plenty of moments that I was just utterly baffled. <laughs> yep. Such as the very beginning, the people inside the head that are sealed in bags like uh, when the comic book guy plays the collector in The Simpsons in that Halloween special, <laughs> and he has full-size people in giant mylar bags to preserve them, uh, most notably Xena, Warrior Princess. And that was what I thought of when I saw this. I still don't get it, like why those people were in the head, in, in the bags, naked on top of that. Yeah, lots of plastic bags in the future. Oh, yeah, a lot of plastic, a lot of bubble wrap. Lots of big plastic bags. Guess they were yeah. cheap in rural Ireland or something. Yeah, County Wicklow. You know what? I, I it's funny that I just asked the question as though the two of you would actually know what the answer is because this movie is so bizarre. It's an allegory for the life force of the people trapped inside the head. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't. Well, here's the thing. Um, later in the movie, when they have like <clears throat> Zed. On like the, uh, I don't know, he's on that, he's like lying on that table and they're basically like figuring out what he's been, they're trying to figure out what he's been up to and sort of reading his memory and such. And they're trying to figure out what happened to Arthur Frayne. And they like, during that scene, there are all these like people seemingly trapped in the walls, like naked again. And they, they pan to like a, uh, a fetus like growing in a plastic bag and they're like oh that's Arthur Frayne he's he's been re you know he's being remade or whatever so I can only assume that this is something similar but I still don't get why they're in the head it just seems weird well the, yeah right because the 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 I know what you mean because I made a note called baby in a bag that was my note <laughs> that was my note for that part. right baby in a bag <laughs> I just had a thought because uh, Arthur Fane was basically kind of playing God and toying with genetics, and that's where Zed came from, right? Like, mm -hmm. Zed was sort of like a, a hybrid. So maybe those were, like, people he was keeping around to, like, noodle with uh, with Ooh. genetics or something. But it's it's not – that's purely just a, a guess. Like It's no... super plausible, and I enjoy how we're trying to solve this problem. <laughs> yeah, same here. Well, yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to whoa, 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 whoa you, Kev, and back us up in traditional Kev oh, style to the please. opening floating head in a black space with a magic marker goatee <laughs> monologue opener, oh, God, <laughs> which yeah. was just like, oh, holy shit, 
what is happening and what am I watching? Mm. Yeah, I really I like how they put that in there. It put a lot of stuff in context and it wasn't like, you know, it was sort of like the kind of Greek chorus kind of narrator like from like a, a play like Cabaret, you know, where you've got somebody's sort of speaking to the uh, the audience. That's sort of how, how I took that. And I liked how he was you know, doing that exposition and giving that information, you know, because he was basically saying this is one possible future that could occur, you know. So he really kind of set the stage up nicely and kind of eases your mind. I'm not trying to be funny, but this will sound funny, like into the <laughs> eases your mind into the weirdness of the of what you're about to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like diving into a new book or something, I found it very confusing more than I found it informative. Like I was just like, I don't even know what I'm hearing now. But if you watch it after, like I, I watched it again tonight because, you know, I watched it again tonight because I heard there was like a, it was tacked onto the front of the film to help people understand things better. But right, the first time around, I was just like, okay, bro, I'm with the movie. I don't really know what the fuck half the shit you're saying is. But it makes so much more sense if you watch it again after seeing the film. You're right. And and actually, my comment isn't exactly right. Because after listening to you say that, that, that's how I felt the first time I watched it. Like, I, it's way, you're right. It's way easier to swallow and understand it the second time around. The first time, you're just like, it's like being in, the, watching this movie for the first time is like being put into a dark room with zero light and a blindfold on and being told to go make coffee. <laughs> that whole opening salvo with like, you know, Arthur Frayne trying to explain what the film was about was tacked on because they, the studio thought it was necessary for audiences to understand the movie. And I think it just made it more confusing. So there you go. As opposed to like a Victor Wong egg Shen beginning of big trouble, which I think at, I mean, I enjoyed that opening that kind of set the movie up a bit, whereas this one I just found it confusing, yeah. Absolutely. Those two, that, that comparison, I mean, beginning of Big Trouble is so different. The idea of the immortals being immortal because they can get resurrected via baby bags is covered a lot more recently in sci-fi and stuff. So, like, we ha we've seen it all before, but when this came out, it might have been pretty early in that exploration. So it is a pretty interesting kind of, you know, approach to the yeah. immortal thing. Definitely. Yeah, I was gonna. I wasn't sure it was the right time to get into that, but it was definitely that the concepts were way the hell ahead of their time. Yeah, the fact that you have these post humans who are essentially immortal when they're, they're all inter, they're all connected to the AI, which is the tabernacle, you know, and they're like crystals or whatever. But it's clearly a computer that is operating on a substrate that's somehow a, you know, a crystal or whatever. Yeah. Well, ref refracted light, yeah. The crystal stuff was interesting, too, because it kind of feels like around that time there was a lot of exploration of kind of like the holographic universe and crystal storage-y kind of stuff. So it's a, a clever use of that, you know, for lack of a better word, idea or trope maybe. Because, like, they don't spend much time explaining how it all works, and I kind of am glad that they didn't. This is not the, not the point. Yeah, I think what I was gonna, what I was getting at there was that you know a lot of modern sci-fi is, is has envisioned this stuff as more you know things that we're familiar with, whereas then I don't think they knew what it was going to be, so they just came up with something you know like mm. but it, it's just a, the crystal is just a, like a sort of MacGuffin kind of a thing you know like it's which you know in the future who the hell knows like mm. it's a plausible <laughs> MacGuffin oh. yeah you know his 
choice of using crystal technology in 1974, I, I thought was a really interesting choice, I guess is what, what I was driving at. I think it's pretty cool. And where information being stored in light form, in refracted light, like inside of crystals, I mean, that would give you, like Connery says at one point, it's like infinite amounts, infinite, you know? So very interesting. Mm, definitely. But more importantly, Kev, did you know the gun is good? And the penis is evil. <laughs> the penis is evil. Zardoz Kabanzin. That is like the best opening <laughs> salvo in a movie ever, you know? It was pretty good, man. Is that literally the first line? I have that written to like the second note. It is one of the first things, yeah. I think it's just like a floating head and people on horses and then... Yeah. He goes, Zardoz speaks to you, his chosen ones. The gun is good. <laughs> the penis <laughs> is evil. Commence the gun and bullet vomit. But, but I've watched that again this before with the show just because I wanted to see it again. And like, the gun is good. The penis is evil. Ha ha ha. And then he's like, the penis shoots seeds. The gun shoots death. It's like, yeah, got it, bro. <laughs> got it. <laughs> so kind of moving along, I guess, chronologically from that point. It's so bizarre, like, all this weird shit is happening with this giant stone head and these guns, and, like, people are dying everywhere, and then, like, he makes it into the vortex, and it's just, like, a, a country farm, and I was like, WTF? With lots of plastic bags. Yeah, with giant inflated plastic bags. <laughs> yeah, a lot of, bu I, yeah, a lot, I called that the bubble wrap, yeah, and then he goes inside, and it just looks like a regular, like, somebody's apartment. You know, <laughs> until he pulls that one curtain back and it's like, this is the party room. It had like a <laughs> sparkly, glittery. <laughs> it's like pipes full uh, of uh, food coloring and water and stuff. Uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. And then like he, there was like a, you know, a, a curtain, a little curtain that had a big glittery Z on it. And he pulls it open and there's like a TV with a picture of the floating head. Like right. <laughs> I just thought that was really weird. And the, like, teenager's bed, like, Arthur Frayne's teenage bedroom with, like, drawings of the evolution of man on the wall, like, horribly painted oh, and stuff. With the giant question mark next to the last one, you know? Like, where are we going, you know? What even are we? <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. But it kind of, like, displays, you know, like, that was Arthur Frayne's room, and he's the one that was, like, doing the whole Zardoz thing and fucking with the Brutals. Like, so it kind of shows you the the character uh, with which he was going about his business or like the, the attitude with which he was going about his business. Like clearly it was like a, you know, you know, there's, there's something funny about it. Like I think he thought it was funny. Yeah, that's fair. You know, like a having fun, like a, like a, like a, you know, like fucking a teenager playing like a fucking civilization game on his computer or something. And, you know, just like playing God or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah very yeah. much so. And I yeah. mean, if you, if you, I mean, he, he alludes to that at the beginning and says that he's a magician. And then he also, or not he also, but if you were immortal and you couldn't die, I mean, I don't know, trying to wrap your head around that concept is really interesting. You, you might do something like that. It doesn't matter. It's like nothing to do. Yeah. You know, they're also goddamn bored. And they're like asexual mm. now, which we'll get to later. But Arthur Frayne seems like bored to the point of mischief and like like you were saying, takes kind of teenage inspiration of just like fucking with a genetic regimen of messing with people and stuff, which is a bit dark, but it's kind of funny. Yes. 
No, it, there's a lot of darkness in this. Yeah. And humor. I think, um, I think, you know, there was, uh, there was some intention behind some of the, the goofiness of the movie. Like, you know, it, I don't know if it comes off that way, but I think, I think there was supposed to be some humor in this. Like, I think people were supposed to probably find it funny. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's from a cynical, sarcastic sense. Absolutely. Cause I, I feel like they were poking fun at society. I mean, we, we've talked about this before. This is what sci, you know, science fiction does. It mirrors, you know, what's happening in society essentially. And I think in a lot, a lot of the parts of this movie, that's what he was doing, you know, like really the whole movie. And you could really, and this is sort of bouncing off what you said, Chad, like the movie essentially, I mean, you could posit that the film is about, you know, it's like all the rich D bags, you know, had all the money and all the power. And then they figured out a way to become immortal and everybody else was just sort of left in the mud. Mm, Yeah. You know what I mean? And they can die and then they're living in their little, you know, bubble thought experiment bubble of utopia doing whatever they do. They're looking for release. They're look. they're trying to find death again, you know? So some of them, I, I, yeah, some of them, but I mean, I could, I could put that as what the film's about in its simplest forms or in simple terms. I think you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think if you, even if you remove the sci-fi elements to it, it's kind of relatively straightforward that it's an allegory for like class and stuff. You know, it's a British dude, so the class system was very much exactly. a, a big deal and probably still is. I don't have much ex- expertise there. But, I mean, yeah, you got your Eternals are essentially the ruling class and, you know, Zed and the whatever gang are, are just the, essentially like the police and then everyone else is just the shit kickers. So it's relatively obvious what he was going for in terms of kind of the different categories of people. The apathetics are just people that don't give a fuck anymore because they can't make a difference anyways, you know? So even without the sci-fi stuff, I definitely feel like we're, we're all speaking the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Back to Zardoz's teenage room with the uh, black lights and uh, posters on the wall. Sean Connery, the big dumb ape, uh, picks up a random Siri glow ring and starts to learn what's going on. No, dude, that was a fucking ring pop, bro. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> That's what I thought. Yeah, like those giant jawbreakers that kids slobber all over. That's it. You chuck it in the fuck it bucket. <laughs> so not not long after this, we're introduced to the Eternals, who are a band of misfit, uh, like a misfit dance troupe. A, a band of misfit, like, gypsy 70s interpretive dancers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a couple of the early sequences with the Eternals is, you know... The weird mirror table babies and bodies outside the room thing that you mentioned earlier, Benny. And then like mm. a weird kind of yoga studio with fucking tapestries hanging up where they all like talk and vote and look into Zardoz's brain on a projector. You mean the giant, the with the room with the giant round table with all the grapes growing above it? No, that's another, <laughs> that's another interpretive dance uh, stage. No, I mean like the... yes orangey ready room where they like sit and like Zardoz stands with his hands straight out and they like look into his mind. Oh, oh, right. Like the, like the, um, it's the high school auditorium kind of thing. The room where they go into the, the penic erection problem thing. (laughs) Yeah. The boner scene. (laughs) Yes. That room. Yes. That room reminded me of the room in, uh, Chronicles of Riddick when Lord Marshall is like 
given his, you know, sort of, hey, join us, guys. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the gun is good. Anyway, um, yes, Penic Erection. That was so funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> animated boner thing. Oh, fuck. Let's, let's say... Let's say the phrase penic erection. How many times can we say that and not feel weird about it? It immediately made me feel weird when I heard that said. I don't know why. And I, it made me feel weird, too. And then the soapy boobs. <laughs> What'd you say? And the soapy boob scene. It was just like, let's see if she gets a boner. <laughs> oh, my God, man. I, I mean, I think it, it made you feel weird, Ben, because she felt weird about it. Like, like I, don't, I mean, like the actress Charlotte Rampling. Yes. <laughs> like, oh, fuck! I got to do this scene now. Is is? I mean, is "penic" even a real word? No, that's the that's the beauty of it, man. Right. That was one thing that I <laughs> I loved that they did in this movie. Like, that definitely made me laugh. That was like, you know, Ben and I we've we've laughed about this before on other shows. Like how. You know, they make the music futuristic. Like this one, it was like, well, let's make the words futuristic. Well, how do we do that? Well, just change the spelling, obviously. So instead of penis, we'll say penic. And instead of carrots, we'll spell it K-A-R-R-A-T-Z. Did you guys notice that? No. Where was that? I did. When he first, yeah, when he first finds the ring pop, right? So if you just rewind from where we are, like just a couple of minutes, like he finds the ring pop. And he starts it starts projecting all of that stuff. Oh right. And one thing is like, I don't know, it's like the tabernacle sort of talking to itself, saying like Vortex nine has apples, pears, potatoes. Vortex four <laughs> needs carrots, bread, <laughs> leather. You know what I mean? Well, like yeah. I was like Sweet. Okay, this is kind of weird, right? But when they flash carrots on the screen in that part in that part, it's spelled K A double R A T Z. I the was like, Ooh, spelling that's of carrots. So futuristic. <laughs> I love that. What about the graphic on the screen? Yeah, dude, the animated boner. <laughs> it was like a like a four stage erection that she seemed again very uncomfortable talking about. Not comfortable. I just love I love that scene though. The boner scene is one of my favorite scenes because it's like the wiggles on the screen represent his stimulation of the subject and it's like soapy boobies and then it's like mud wrestling boobies and then he just like looks at her and gets a boner and the, the lines jiggle and everyone starts giggling and she's super mad about it. It's just the most ridiculous shit. It is, but his expression is what makes it so priceless, man. He's just got that like <laughs> Yeah, like Sean Connery's resting face, his lips are kind of pursed out a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? He invented the duck face. Exactly, man. So the duck face, yeah. So he's just standing there, like, and his eyes are like, you know, he's kind of got them like cranked open a little bit wider, but he's not smirking or anything. He's just got his resting duck face. It's on. just his boner and face. It's like <laughs> he doesn't say a single word. His expression doesn't change the entire time. And then it's like they both look down at his crotch. That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and still his expression doesn't change. I and love she's like, that. oh now I'm very uncomfortable. Conchuela. There's an actual penic erection in front of me. Don't you see? It's you that gives me the penic erection. <laughs> it's hard not to talk about Sean Connery's erect penis. Totally. Or his duck face. A great example of of how to take an interesting concept in a movie and just drive it into the fucking ground. Oh, absolutely, man. Like, what it's going for 
in hindsight is like this group of immortals have no sexuality or sexual drives because they don't need to reproduce, which is a super interesting concept. But then to have them all standing in a fucking classroom, high school auditorium, showing soapy boobies to Sean Connery while he gets a boner is just (laughs) such a ridiculous way to explore that idea. Yeah, it is. And he was, you know, clearly more aroused by the teacher, quote unquote, than (laughs) the material on the chalkboard. Yes, yes, she was. And then later on, she rediscovers her, you know, sexuality thanks to him. And, well, we'll get to that later, folks. Stay tuned. I don't remember how they get into it, but it's May. So then then May kind of comes into the frame of the film as a a character. Yeah, maybe a a little catch-up in the synopsis is... Sean Connery sneaks into the skull, lands in a weird farmhouse full of Ziploc bags and colored water, and all the immortals are, like, baking green fucking bread and doing weird shit. And Charlotte Ramping's character, Consuela, which is a great name, by the way, and May are kind of two sides, two factions, one which one of which wants to kill Zed and the other wants to kind of learn from our use Zed and... So the whole thing is like, do we or don't we kill Sean Connery? And all these immortal people are trying to like yes. poke and prod this experiment subject. And you kind of figure out what the hell they're up to. Right. And for the folks at home, Consuela, the one that wants to kill him, is the one that he gets... Bonered up about? Aroused over. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, so May, May enters the scene and basically kind of... What do you guys kind of think about it? She wants to learn about him or why does she want to keep him around i don't really remember because consuelo's like kill him straight away right she looks into i know why because she looks into his memories and sees that he has obtained knowledge oh right right and she wants to figure out what that's all about or whatever i'm pretty sure if i'm remembering the sequence of events right yeah like he walks into that room and she's got that sheet over her head <laughs> like hey we need to make a scene where like you guys are like in each other's minds psychically and they're like hey let's take this quilt off this couch and throw it over your head exactly dude oh my god <laughs> and she's like i can't he says something to her and she's like i can't speak to you right now as i have a sheet over my head <laughs> and then she lifts the sheet up <laughs> and invites him in and sort of does like a vulcan mind meld with him and sees his thoughts, and then he like completely wigs out. I think I think I'm remembering this in the right order. I'm not sure. I think yeah, close enough. Anyways, it's way further into the movie, but you know, it's kind of a. I don't know if that time is really all like timeline is all that important in this movie. It's nah, kind of a, it really isn't. You know, it's it kind really of a blur. Isn't. There's a bunch of funny shit that happens with uh, his his little adventures with friend, where they like yeah. No, that they wood up that cart with bread and Connery's like, it's like a... It's like a tuk-tuk kind of thing. It's like a rickshaw. Yeah, it's like a rickshaw and Connery's like pulling them around and they're delivering the bread to different people. But there's like, when they go to like pick up the bread cart, there's like this weird scene where like all the people are like in there like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> making the bread or whatever and like friend starts like speaking in reverse or whatever and everybody's like cracking up. Yeah, there's no yeah, words. What was that about? <laughs> that was so good. They like, never explain it. It's just it's just so weird. <laughs> it was like uh he was sort of like like mumbling nonsense. Yeah. Like, that was fucking hilarious. Kind of like that 
combined with talking in reverse. It was super strange. I, I actually thought that my copy of Zardoz was glitched out. <laughs> and then I saw it again, and I was like, okay, well, I sort of believe that it's not glitched out. <laughs> I'm still glad you confirmed They didn't that. like the scene where they liked the footage, so they just, like, mumble-wrapped underneath it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was really weird. And did you notice that, like, the bread machine was super high-tech? Right. It oh, was. Yeah, like, they put it in and it came right back out. <laughs> so would you say that this scene with Friend was the first mumble rap song? Because I think that might be it. Whoa, nice, dude. Yes. I think that these kids today, they're getting they're getting into Zardoz, and that's what the yeah, inspiration was. That's where it came yeah, from. Clearly. The, uh, you're right about the rickshaw scene. I kind of forgot about it because of the other ridiculous stuff. But I love Friend just like chucking green bread at people in the street like shouting their names just like paper boy delivering bread fucking hucking it out love that Super yes funny. that's it paper boy style like just chucking the papers man i mean who the hell didn't have a paper out here i did i had a couple actually <laughs> exactly I'm, I'm slightly ashamed to say i had a couple but whatever i played it on nes does that count oh man the oh that game was the bomb i love that yeah, the, the bread in the cart scene was just bonkers. And and Friend, at that point, before he gets aged into, like, a half-old person, he's very, like, kind of, you know, bougie-douchey <laughs> in that great way. Of, you know, the way he calls him monster and the way he's just chucking bread at people, you know? Like, here, yeah, peasant, have this bread, you know? like Doinks it off their noggins as they go by. Exactly. Good morning, monster. Let's go throw bread at people, monster. <laughs> Just to be clear, he's throwing this bread at, at his peers as well. The, the, I mean, the seniles are, are eternals and the, the apathetics are also eternals. So. Right. He yes. just has such, uh, I don't know if hatred is the right word, but disdain perhaps for, for yeah, for them. Mm. But Yeah, no, that's a good point, Ben. Yeah, that, that he's throwing the bread at everybody. Yeah, but on second thought, like, I think you brought a, up, up a great point, Ben, where you don't really know it now, so it's a second viewing kind of thing, but Arthur Frayne as Zardoz and Friend are kind of in cahoots, and, yes. you know, the whole, like, they're just having a bit of fun fucking around is kind of more what they're actually doing, but it seems in first viewing like he just has disdain and hates everybody, but, like, you come to find out later, or you kind of put two and two together, they're just, like, two mischievous immortal dudes just, like, bored out of their minds. Mm. So it kind of puts a different spin on it all. It's less douchey and more like the guys are just being knuckleheads, like drunken out and out and about being jackasses. Hmm. Well, they are actually trying to do something by, I mean, they, by creating Zed, they're trying to bring the option of death back to the Eternals. So they're actually trying to do something really serious. It's just that, like, the way they are approaching it is like, you know, I imagine they could have gone about it any number of ways, but... But Arthur Frayne sort of deciding to create the, you know, false god of Zardoz and, and you know, controlling people that way, like... Being theatrical. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's sort of, you know, that part of it is funny, whereas the rest of it's actually kind of... The, the, the means are silly. Yeah, the means are silly, but the uh, objective is serious. Yes, they were being sort of absurdist in their methodology, but they were trying to do something serious. That was, that was the, yes. sort of the hook of the whole thing, was... And I think you're right. It was to bring death back to society again, or at least the the, the douchey rich people part of the society. Right. Interesting relationship between friend and frame. 
their names were so similar. I got confused in the first viewing as to who was who. Yeah, it's kind of funny that he's only known as friend. Have you seen friend? Yeah, that scene was odd. I am looking for Running friend. around looking for friend. I am looking for my son. <laughs> it's at this point we're introduced at the end of the paper route to the apathetics, which was kind of a bit of a random segue, but makes sense later with the like body of Christ weird shit where they like make out with Sean Connery and wake up or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I. it was interesting how he just uh, started groping that woman. <laughs> and Fran's just like, yeah, go ahead. Like, I don't know. It was weird. And like the way he just, you know, picks her up, takes her over to the hay. She doesn't respond. Like suplexes her into the hay. Totally suplexes <laughs> her into the hay. Like Jimmy Superfly Snooka, dude. The Iron Sheik. Oh, my God. Right? Yeah, it's 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 shocking for sure. Um but I don't think it's meant to glorify the scene is meant to glorify anything. I think it's meant to, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know what the hell it's meant to do. It's maybe supposed to like showcase the savagery of Zed, but mm, yeah, no, that's fair enough. Perhaps not necessary. <laughs> or I get, well, he doesn't go through with it. So he stops. So maybe it's meant to signify some kind of a change. Maybe considering the earlier sequence where they flash back to his memory of him raping a woman on a beach or whatever. Right. But the whole the whole uh, apathetics thing didn't make much sense to me until later on when they kind of wake up and he he wakes them up through his eating his sweat and making out with them. I that was yeah yeah I thought that that was funny. I mean it it was explained in an article that I read that it was through his testosterone, but oh. like yeah I I in my notes I had that same thing. It's like one drop of sweat has revived us all. Zed's manly hormones. And it's like, she, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like she runs her finger through his sweaty chest hair and then licks it and then starts kissing and then everybody starts kissing. Even a couple of guys that are kissing, which I thought was pretty risque for a 1974 movie. It's funny, too, because, like, all these people are making out in a room and I was like, man, they're all going to get COVID if they're all like, you know, like, that's really not. <laughs> Is that what you thought? <laughs> I swear to God, I was like, oh, man, that's just, like, not what we do anymore. You're going to be really careful. Oh, my God. Wow. You're going to get mononucleosis. <laughs> <laughs> times man good times oh i have that right here apathetics lick his sweat and wake up and then they say we take life from you and then what happens after is what i what i wrote in the notes is the orgy of the apathetics (laughs) and then the director's like sean can you just like stumble around like you're being psychically vampired like the some of the I think it must be the direction because surely the actors aren't this bad, but some of the direction was just like so funny. Like the, the stumbliness or the like, I don't even recall any other sequences. Like there wasn't any drunk scenes, but it's kind of like when you see someone pretending to be drunk in a movie and you can tell they're pretending or on drugs. It's just like, man, that is not at all what it's like, but okay. Yes. 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 A, a perfect example of this is when they're all at the uh, the crystal mirror uh yoga table eating green bread and fruit and then they uh <laughs> however they all end up like aimed at arthur frayne and they're like oh no they're, they're they're all supposed to go to like level two meditation together or whatever and arthur frayne refuses and he's like <laughs> i will not go to level two with you i will no <laughs> no. <laughs> no no so good And then he just collapses on the table from exhaustion of resisting going to level two. Uh, It's fair enough. Whatever. 
God, that was so odd. I want. I definitely want to incorporate that into the EBD universe. When whenever like one of us is not feeling the same way about a movie that the other two, be like, I will not go to level two with you. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's the opposite of riding on the same motorcycle. Whoa, hang on a second, folks. We'll get back to the nerdery in just a couple of minutes. We wanted to take a few moments and just thank everybody so much for tuning into our show. It certainly means the world to the three of us. Isn't that right, boys? Hell yeah. We're loving the conversations that we've been having on various social media mediums. I've been having some really interesting chats with people on Instagram and Twitter and stuff and wanted to say thanks for listening and thanks for um, putting in requests and giving us feedback. Please continue to do so. Yes. Yeah, we really appreciate the feedback. We really appreciate the suggestions. Um, Really happy to hear that people are enjoying the show out there. But if you are... We would really love if you would share that with your friends. Tell them about us. Tell us. Tell them about the show. Tell them about it on social media. It's really helpful to us, and we really want to grow the show. So thanks for pitching in and helping us out. And furthermore, folks, don't be afraid to drop us a little review on any one of the various podcast muffin-making mediums. Yeah, the way the review thing works in most um, platforms is a certain number of reviews in a week means that they recommend the show with their algorithm to other people. So the reviews are super helpful, even though it kind of doesn't seem like they would be. They really, really help get uh, the show in front of other people that might enjoy it. There you go. I like that. Thanks again. And now back to the show. So the the second level scene that we were just talking about results in the punishment of friend getting aged. And I, I thought that aging as punishment was kind of clever and a really great way to, I don't know, incentivize an immortal group. Like it, it's a clever, it's a really clever punishment. It is because they're not saying we're going to, we're going to physically age you. You're not going to be mortal now. Yeah. We're just going to advance your body. Like that is a cool concept for sure. Mm. But you'll be reborn at that, you know, decrepit age, even if you kill yourself via the baby bag bullshit. So it's it's clever. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the baby bag bullshit. <laughs> but, uh, hey, but um, I think like... You would want to age if you didn't have to. Yeah, exactly. And all the voting stuff. It might be worth, Kev, you mentioned the costumey stuff. It might be worth slipping that in considering the dinner scene with everyone like in cod pieces and tank tops and do rags and stuff. I don't know if you want to chuck that in now. The costuming, like, I, I mean, it was odd that the senile's were wearing like fancy dress party outfits. Yeah. Why were some of them wearing like, uh, yeah, like tuxedos like tuxes and tails? <laughs> like, I don't know. I just, I, I thought that was really odd. I, I mean, I get it. It was a stark contrast to what everybody else was wearing. So for, I guess from a kind of art, artistic standpoint, I sort of get that, but... And it was cheap, probably. Yeah, and it was cheap, but like from a, I don't know, from a storytelling standpoint, I don't know, I thought it was a little weird. I, I The rest of the costumes were just straight up batshit insane. <laughs> like, I... Yep. I'm sorry, man. Like, I... There's a lot of things that I've come to love about this movie, obviously, and the costumes are not one of them. Like... <laughs> I I thought that uh, Consuela's outfit was incredibly sexy in a weird <laughs> kind of I crafted this from nets and curtains kind of way. Uh, ditto with a lot of the women, but like you know, I mean, just the the fucking do rags, man. Jesus, what is up with the stupid do rags? It's like literally 
looks like somebody was like, hmm, you know what? I've got these old curtains up in my attic, and I think I could make something out of those. It's like, yeah, you did it. That's what you did. You used old curtains from your attic because that's how they look, and they're, it's just terrible looking, man, absolutely dreadful looking. I mean, even the guy who had the weird sort of like – futuristic German lederhosen thing on with the, but you could see his nipples like that was even had like a twinge of, I'm trying to make something cool here. The do rags were just absurd. I could not get around the do rags. They were terrible. I mean, the costuming in general was just super bizarre. Although I did like Sean Connery's thigh highs. (laughs) (laughs) I love how angry you are. That's good. I know. I'm pretty pissed about that. I, I, the, the word do-rag didn't pop into my head. What the what the headdresses reminded me of was like sort of like what uh, sort of like an Egyptian kind of a thing, like, a, uh, like an ancient Egyptian kind of a thing. I mm-hmm. think that's sort of like what they were going for. I could see that. In general, I think that's sort of what they were going for. It's sort of what those costumes reminded me of or, you know, like what you would see on like a, you know, a hieroglyph or something, you know, like sort of a skirted bottom and a, and a cropped top sort of a thing with the with the headdress but uh yeah definitely uh it definitely suited the the women in the movie did not suit the men in the movie <laughs> no oh my goodness no so these all these like super wafy dudes with like exposed nipples and now yeah, it's weird doing the, the and just t- i love yeah. the voting hand gesture stuff <laughs> oh my yes. god <laughs> that just fucking cracks me up man every time <laughs> Dude, there's, there's, when I was uh, when I was a young lad, when I was a young lad, um, I remember like we they showed us a film about like you know you know like in school and they showed us a film about like drugs. Oh yeah. And I don't really. There was like a there was like a plot line to it, but like every time they talk like they talked about a bunch of different drugs in it. Every time they talked about one of the drugs, they had like. They would pan to like uh like a an interpretive dancer wearing like a like a like a like a full body unitard kind of a thing doing like a doing like a gesture dance that was supposed to sort of uh you know portray the the drug that the that was being talked about uh-huh with like weird music and 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 something about that whole like <laughs> This movie totally reminds me of that. Like, clearly, it was made the the like little drug PSA was made like in the seventies or whatever. And this is like just something really weird in seventies about that. And this movie remind really reminded me of that. And it it turns out that that drug movie was made by John Borman. Like, he came off of this and went straight into the production of the drug movie. <laughs> And somebody was like, John, we've loved what you did with Zondars. We need you to do a couple of PSAs. That voting scene? Oh, no, John Borman went on and did Excalibur. But um, I, maybe it was the cinematographer or something that did the uh, PSA. Maybe. That's a good segue, uh, Benny, into the cinematography. Maybe we should take that, seize that opportunity. I just wanted to segue into the cinematographer a minute. This is kind of one of my nuggets, but... Did you guys pick up that it turns out the cinematographer of this was the same cinematographer that did 2001? What? No, No. I did not. No, I didn't. Yeah, man. Jeffrey Unsworth, who evidently, like, was the DP on, like, 100 movies, including the original Donner Superman 1 and 2001 A Space Odyssey, did this. Wow. And he has this really interesting technique where, like, I don't know exactly how it works, but 
essentially he shoots the scenes with the lens wide open, like a, a wide open aperture and then uses like fog filters, which allow for super dynamic amount of color and diffused color coming into it. And so it gives the film like an impressionistic look. And so all the like pastel colors and whatnot of this movie kind of had a similar vibe to kind of the, I don't know, maybe like cartooniness of colors of the original Superman. And hmm. I definitely got 2001 Space Odyssey vibes in a couple of scenes in this, not in terms of the content, but in terms of the feel of the film. And it was interesting to find that it was the same DP. Obviously not the content. Obviously yes. not. Wow, that's that's interesting. I'm surprised, also surprised you didn't save that for the Nuggets section. But yeah, that's cool. It was, but it's a good, it was a kind of, you know, it fit here. So I put it's a it good, here. It's a good proto-Nugget. Exactly. Yeah. I saw an interview with uh, Borman and he was talking about the, they were recently remastered the movie and uh, he was talking about being worried about the fact that apparently like uh, any, any remasters that, that were attempted with, with that particular technique, the negatives would just fall apart. No kidding. For some reason. I don't, I don't know why, but um, he was worried that the movie wasn't going to actually, like they weren't going to be able to do it, but they pulled it off. Yeah, right. Well, maybe that's why the studio stopped any cinematographers from using his wide open technique ever again after this and a couple of movies. No, he 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 actually explicitly said that they stopped using the like the film industry outlawed that technique because that kept happening. Yeah, right. Yeah, so it's interesting. Super interesting. Yeah, very much so. And some really serious, uh, you know, cinematography chops. You know, like to get this that guy Jeffrey Unsworth to do this film was pretty awesome and probably a big goes a long way to making it a uh, interesting movie on multiple viewings because at least it's like beautifully shot if the writing and everything else is shit at least it's something interesting to look at it would be worth touching on the uh hilarious mime sequence uh, at the edge of the uh, vortex bullshit which i thought was quite funny there is a scene with the brutals pretending to be stuck outside and then zardoz or uh, sorry zed is like smashed up against a glass plate at one point which is quite funny because he keeps going out to signal his other exterminator pals. His bros. His bros are waiting on the hill on horseback. His diaper-clad cronies. Diaper-clad cronies, yes. At what point, was it before or after the glass-plated crony signaling that we get the giant reveal of what the word Zardoz comes from? That's probably worth touching on for a minute. Well, that is worth touching on. That that it's that's in one of the flashbacks, and I think it's when May takes him on the mind probe when oh, she figures right. out what yes. exactly his deal is. So he goes in in the Outlands. He goes into a library and he's shown the book by Arthur Frayne that will teach him how to read. And then he starts voraciously devouring all these books, and one of them is The Wizard of Oz. And I gotta say that part blew my mind i was like <laughs> no it? really i like when i saw it i was like oh my god wow that is interesting and cool i never would have thought in a million years that's where the name came from wizard of oz the wizard of oz so that that is the how of the title of the film and the name of the god zardoz is and the inspiration for the man behind the curtaininess of Arthur Frayne. Yeah. Exactly. I, I hinted at that when uh, I said there was something that sort of tied together Zardoz with other things that we had been talking about. Oh, uh, yeah. You mentioned that before we recorded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
What made you think that? I thought something totally different. It was the Zardoz, but it was the Wizard of Oz because of uh, you know, all the Wizard of Oz sort of references in uh, Hyperion. Oh, I gotcha. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, wow. right, right, right. No, I thought you were... <laughs> That's funny because just for the listeners at home, we were talking before recording the show a couple weeks ago where Benny listened to, or watched this movie before we did and mentioned there were some tie-ins. And having watched it, I thought you were going for the Lord of the Rings thing, which I'm sure will end up in the Nuggets section. That's what I thought you were talking about. <laughs> that makes a ton of sense. The Wizard of Oz stuff from uh, Hyperion. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Now I want Zardoz in Hyperion. Yes. Because he would fit, man. I think I think all these pastel cod pieces and magic marker goatees would fit right in on like you know, with with uh, Salinas in the in the poet city. Definitely, definitely. Maybe they should uh, use the same you know cinematographer and production designers to do a Hyperion movie. Yeah, I'm down. <laughs> I think that if we in our cinematic universe in our world, uh, if if we have a Motorcycle with a sidecar is our ground vehicle. Our flying vehicle would be that head. Dude, if that could be my, like, flying car spaceship, I would totally rock something like that. Right? You could do so much. So much room inside. It's comfortable. You could put all your grain, all the plastic bag people that you've got, your 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 mint condition collection of humans. Um. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. All right. So, Chad, do you still want to try to explain what happens in the rest of this film? Do we need to do that? Or... I don't know. Or go through I mean, it. Or... What does happen? Turns out it was a whole thing where Frayne and friend were trying to bring breed Zed into bringing death back. I mean, we kind of touched on it, although right. But then, right. Sorry. No, just that May and her followers trade insemination for knowledge through osmosis. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I realized how weird that sounded coming out of my mouth when I said it. Anyway, that's what happens, and then he gains even more knowledge. And I just to touch on that point, that whole scene where they impart the knowledge onto him, like oh my god, I mm-hmm. forgot about that. I loved the way that Borman did that part. Like I thought it was fantastic. It's like literally, like just I mean, it's a simple idea. It's like you just project, you know, images like you know, film, whatever, onto somebody's face or entire body. And it's like, that's how they represented the passing of the knowledge. And I thought that that was very cool because it would just show up on his face or on his body and and theirs as well, the women that were doing it, the followers rather that were doing it, not just the women. But I thought that that was a really interesting way to accomplish conveying that they were sort of – um passing the knowledge, you know, with their with their minds, you know, mm. os- osmotically or whatever. That uh that scene again harkens to the 70s drug PSA. <laughs> totally. I um I think my give a shit meter was running pretty low at this stage or maybe I just wasn't in the right headspace, so like, I get that. Yeah. I kind of forgot about the osmotic insemination trade thing that was the most fantastic sentence that ever left your mouth a minute ago and this like projection (laughs) scene but like i think obviously i'm being i'm exaggerating but like 15 minutes into this projection scene i was like okay i get it now now that you mention it i think i i probably would have appreciated it more on second viewing but i think the whole film i would have appreciated more had i watched it again i was so confused throughout this that i just kind of didn't care and was like okay we're gonna shit all over this movie this week and 
now that we we haven't and there is some kind of like redeeming qualities to the film i uh i kind of wish i had watched it a second time because i think i probably would have ended up in the same place that you guys kind of are but i i kind of forgot about the projection scene and it is clever from a budget and a creative perspective although uh it went on a little long for my tastes maybe sure so moving right along from there at this point i believe he has already discovered that the, tab- the tabernacle exists within like a fist-sized diamond. Not a fist size, but like a, almost a baseball-sized diamond. It was more like a tennis ball size. Okay, tennis ball size. Really like racquetball <laughs> size. Yeah. So with that comes the wardrobe change, and then we also get the return of Arthur Frayne. He was like, it was a ruse the whole time. I and set then, this up. Yeah, kind of, right? And then... You know, I don't know, Consuela is still trying to kill him, but she's really hot for him. And then, like, basically everybody dies. Yeah. And then just before everybody dies, the best costume change happens, and Sean Connery is snuck out of the area in a wedding dress, which is quite a picture. That was awesome, man. And I, it was doubly awesome because one of the, one of the senile's literally very quite literally looked exactly like grandpa from the monsters did you guys pick up on that there was that one guy had the cape with the the collar on it i thought he did too i was like where do i know that guy yeah from the monsters he had his hair slicked back i was like that's grandpa from the monsters that's funny i was i never figured out where where or who that was and that's a perfect that's perfect i love it and then and then i mean we're doing a you know obviously a pretty faster wrap up here in our um just going through this because we don't need to go by a grain by grain <laughs> but um we sort of get to i mean the end of the movie he is inside the tabernacle so he's inside the crystal which is you know represented by this sort of mirrored room which was at the same time pretty damn cool and pretty damn cheesy but um before that when he comes out of the kind of the statue room, he gives what, in my opinion, is the best line of dialogue in the entire movie. <laughs> you guys remember the scene I'm talking about when he walks out of that like kind of statue room and like um, and friend is there, yeah, with the other people that are that are inside his aura. Because remember, he says at one point he's like, "Stay with me, but stay inside my aura." <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> so friend walks up to him and he's like, he says like, so. He kind of says something to the effect of like, so where are we at? And Connery's response is, I'm going to try to do this the best Connery I can right here. He goes, an old man calls me. The voice of the turtle is heard in the land. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what the fuck is even, what is that? I don't know. I mean, it has to do with the old guy. And then we sort of gloss, we actually didn't sort of gloss over this. We did gloss over this. So we, we find out in the course, and I'm really saying this for the folks at home, whether you didn't watch it or didn't understand what you were watching. Like me. <laughs> yeah. Like Chad, the Eternals, the the originals that made everybody immortal was a group of scientists. And we get a flashback scene where we see you know, those scientists in their younger selves. And essentially the people that are there now, Consuela, Friend, May, they're the children of those Eternals. And they made everybody immortal and they made it so people couldn't die anymore. And the main guy, the kind of leader of the scientists, he's lying in a bed much older 
in the sort of the senile's camp, I guess you could say. And that's what he, that's what Sean Connery is referencing by the old man. He has to go see the old guy and, you know, then the, then the old guy dies. Right. He's sort of the first to die, right? I think. Yeah. And then everyone's like super like surprised and pumped about it. Right. And then everybody's like, kill me, kill me, kill me. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> so that's, uh, there you go. So, so except for May and her little band and uh, and uh, Consuela and the Ice Pirates uh, sequence, which we'll get to in a minute, right? And I love mm-hmm. how he high fives everybody as they're going out of the forest on their horses, like the 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 group of people. <laughs> Did you notice that he does? He high fives yeah. all of them, and I think it's probably because he just had sex with every single one of those women. He also, I thought it was pretty funny when she offers the the trade of the knowledge for the insemination. (laughs) She's like, I have my followers inseminate us all. And Connery's standing there with his duck face like, hmm. (laughs) 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 Like, uh, okay. (laughs) You know, like, I don't know how the fuck he got roped into this movie, man. Here's a high five for you. Up high. So, like, just to wrap this fucking movie up, we have the uh, Scarface front lawn shootout where everyone gets shot to shit and Consuela and Zed, like, scamper off into a fucking stone head. And then she's pregnant. And then she's immediately, like, the Ice Pirates uh, scene, like I mentioned. She's pregnant, has a kid, and then they just sit there and age out, which is quite funny. In their weird green robes that are sort of reminiscent more of the second Planet of the Apes movie. And I mean the original second Planet of the Apes movie. Yeah. (laughs) Another good costume example for you. And yeah, they age out and that's it. That's it. Movie's over. Movie's over. Okay, that was our best attempt. <laughs> our best attempt at like dealing with this incredibly strange film. So let's move on to Nuggets, Deaths, and uh, Ratings, please. Well, yeah, that, but also like uh, we wanted to touch on the remake. And, oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, yeah, totally. Just br- briefly on the music as well, because I really just thought the the music came up in some of the things I came across when I was doing a little bit of reading about this. And um, I guess the guy that did the composition like was using all this medieval music that was apparently he did some sort of mind blowing job with the medieval music that I didn't really pick up on. But you know, Beethoven synth. Uh, whoa, talk about a Freudian slip. Wow. Wait. Did you hear what I just said? I did. Beethoven synth. What are you thinking about? The Clockwork Orange, another wacky 70s movie? Yeah, <laughs> Clockwork Orange, man. No, I was going to say Beethoven's seventh and then the synth music because there was some very cool synth music at parts of this movie. So yeah, um, I, d- I dug some of the music. It was cool. I liked the way that he intermixed it. I didn't love all of it, but I loved the synth music. That was great. Yeah. Okay, so remake. Yeah, man. You mentioned uh, the remake. I want to hear about this. Well, I just think if you if you remade this movie with you know an unlimited budget, and it wouldn't take a ton of money to do it, but if you had no constraints financially, and you certainly today the technology is there to visually do whatever you want, this could actually be a very cool film. And I think that people are smart enough now 
that they would actually get it. And I really wouldn't rework a whole ton of it, man. But visually, if you redid it now, you can make something pretty freaking cool, man. Mm. Yeah, I think story-wise, the idea of like the Eternals, you know, if you look at them as like post-humans, then it's kind of the, the a lot of the concepts from the story are way ahead of their time. So I think if you if you treated that with uh, you know some modern production values and uh, hey man, I think I think there are two remakes of this movie. There's one where you do a high production value you know modern film take on this, and the other is uh, you keep it exactly the way it is and you do the stage production, which is Zardoz the musical, dude. <laughs> 1000% agree with that. But I think that like, you know, we've already touched on a lot of the cool things like the uh, passing of the knowledge through osmosis, the idea of the crystal pyramid of being inside the tabernacle, the crystal technology in general, you could do a lot of really cool stuff with that even with like the I mean, the thing about the second level meditation, like all that stuff, like, that all came out really kind of campy and cheesy a little bit. But if you, you know, you retooled it and did it with modern technology, all that stuff could be very cool. And then if you wove it all together, then you've got a little bit more of a cohesive vision. Not that the story isn't cohesive. Mm. Some modern visual effects and some modern sensibilities and apply it to what you have here. And Exactly. Yeah, I mean, just just the initial premise of a, of an immortal, you know, creating a fake god to, you know, sort of play with slash control, you know, the people of the land is is interesting in and of itself, you know, and the fact that one sect of society is immortal, and then you've got the brutals that aren't, and they still breed, and you know, there's just some, there's a lot of allegories to what's sort of going on today and it's just very cool man you know and and again you know you can make it make it pretty cool you know you could keep all the outland stuff there i mean i really wouldn't change much you know you just keep the keep the outland stuff there I'd definitely maybe change the diapers a little bit you know what i mean <laughs> but i would definitely keep the thigh highs i think i, th- I think some uh, costume uh, reimaginings are in order. Oh, no, dude, <laughs> don't get me wrong, Ben. Like, I'm talking total rehaul on the costumes, except yeah. for the exterminators. Total rehaul? I love that. Except, no, I, I except for the exterminators need to have something other than the, like, the red mankini diapers. You know what I mean? Like, I, I actually thought that the Zardoz masks that they wore were pretty dope. In, in terms of uh, how I feel about the costuming, I think I have the same similar uh, objections to the Exterminator costumes that you have to the Eternals costumes. Like those bothered me less than the Exterminator costumes. They just I just could not. It's what kept me from watching the movie all these years. It's just that image. <laughs> Fair enough. With what? The exterminator costume? That image of the exterminator costume, yeah. With the with the red diaper and the bandolero and the thigh high boots. Like it's just so silly. I I could not get behind it. But could you say I mean, I could see them like in this in the vein of this like sort of reimagining, like I could see them still being shirtless with the with the bandoliers but something on the bottom that's different and then reworking the boots but having something kind of similar boot wise you know because i i think that the shirtless quality gives them that kind of i don't know what the quality is the word i'm looking for it's like masculinity and testosterone well no i'm not not necessarily that it just it gave it a a more of a tribal kind of feel 
Yeah. Right. Okay. So there's two ways you could go about this. You either make you make a remake of this that's for people who've seen the original. Yep. And that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like you just like completely maybe even change the title of it. You know, like but you just sort of use the the basic bones of the story and just completely reimagine it. Yeah. That's how I would approach it. I wouldn't do like a, a fan service remake of. I of, think that that with a true to the original musical would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Like two separate things. Very much two separate things. Yeah. I think that a musical of this would be... Hysterical. You know, in the same wheelhouse as a uh, Rocky Horror. You know, I think it would get a quite a cult following. Not to that level, maybe, but similar universes. Yeah, definitely. What comes to mind is like uh, Spamalot, the uh, musical theater production of uh, Monty Python's Holy Grail. Oh, yeah. Something along mm. those lines. Yeah, exactly. I would like to throw this grenade into the room and propose that uh, Zed is actually Duncan Idaho because Zed is being bred by Arthur Frayne in the same way that Duncan Idaho is being bred by the God Emperor of Dune. He is the Quitsat's Hatterack. Oh my God. He is the Quitsat. For he is the Quitsat's Hatterack. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Which... Uh, let me throw this out there. Oh, man. My nine-string body set. <laughs> I need to throw this out there now because it's too good. Charlotte Rampling, who played Consuela in this, is Gaius Helen Mohame in the new Dune movie. Are you serious? So fucking fantastic casting. All right, so is that our segue into Nuggets, I, I dude, think maybe please? it would be a good segue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nuggets. You guys got Nuggets? I, I've even got one, but uh, one of you might have You already. go first then, Benny. Uh, okay, so the the final scene in the movie where Sean Connery and Charlotte uh, Rampling uh, age in rapid succession, uh, where you mentioned uh, how good the elderly makeup was, Kev. Well, apparently Sean Connery hates makeup. Oh. And apparently they had to shoot that scene three times. Because, like, the first time, I don't know, like, it was a bad batch of film. And then the second time, like, uh, somebody opened the canister and overexposed the film. And then, like, the third time, the editor, like, fucked it up or something. So, apparently, Sean Connery, hating to do makeup and being known to be a bit of a hothead, apparently, like, went fucking berserk and started attacking, like... (laughs) the uh the like you know it started attacking like a a fucking gaff man or something like various (laughs) staff members yeah wow various yeah various crew for the movie like he just fucking lost his mind and horrible oh my god sometimes a crew member needs a physical correction (laughs) (laughs) i love it that's good stuff i like it that was a killer nugget man what do you got kev I have one nugget that I know you have as well. We sort of touched on it already. And then I have a couple of other little nuglets that aren't necessarily nuggets. I I wanted to just firstly remind everybody that this is, and one of us mentioned this earlier, this is the guy, before you start thinking that John Borman is some kind of weirdo who only did films like this, he did Excalibur Mm, and Deliverance. So he was coming off Deliverance doing this. And then he did Excalibur after this, which is excellent, excellent movie. And Deliverance was a massive hit. And he's done a, a bunch of other films, ton of other films, and they've all been, um, you know, really well received. So he is a very capable and very accomplished director. Um, how he got to doing Zardoz was he, right. He was trying to get Lord of the Rings made, and he could not get anybody behind that. 
and based on that, he still wanted to do something that was like interesting and cool in that vein. So he wrote this Zardoz script and, and I, I just I read that too and I like he's like I really want to make Lord of the Rings because I love the hugeness of the Lord of the Rings world and universe and then they're like nah and he's like okay well I'll just write Zardoz <laughs> I know I know I, I, like, I it's find the most un Lord of the fucking Rings thing ever it's so funny oh it's so funny yeah so in fact closer to Lord exactly. of the exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my or god really, so, maybe lord of the nipple hey there it is there it is benny yeah lord of the nipple rings there you go so i got one more small one and it's that i can't remember the guy's name but this this was actually adapted into a novelization if you can believe that. <laughs> i can't so this movie being as weirded as it is and it's really taken well 40 years essentially, for this movie to kind of gain its cult following because it has a cult following now. And for people to really kind of understand it and be like, oh, wow, this is actually a pretty cool high-concept movie. This movie, at the time when it came out, was like people watched it and had no idea what was going on. And just they told the people coming into the theater, don't see it. The critics panned it, like da-da-da-da-da-da. But this movie, there was a novelization made of this movie, which still just Maybe we should make it part of the book club. And that's it. (laughs) Exactly. I right. can't believe that they actually made a book after this movie came out. Like that's just so funny. Freaking bonkers, right? man! Right. Well, um, as far as uh, my nuggets go, uh, you guys snagged some of them, which is fine because there's only like five nuggets for this movie, anyways. But there was one that you guys didn't mention, which is um, the scene where Zed is overseeing a bunch of brutals planting grain. He ends up like blasting one of them in the head with a gun. Oh, yeah. And it turns out that the extra on that that was getting blasted in the head was the director, John Borman. And when Connery pulled the trigger and shot the blank, he was so close to John Borman that the wadding and the gun actually got stuck in his head and took several days to come out, (laughs) which is kind of funny. Damn. (laughs) Wow. That's a good nugget, man. Wow. It's just kind of a random funny one, but. There wasn't a hell of a lot to go on. There's not a lot of material out there for this movie. No. Uh, deaths. Um, there are no recorded deaths. Yeah, I guess not. Which is, uh, as you said. Oh, wait a minute, though. Wait, 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 wait a fucking second. I recall a certain somebody mentioning the Star Wars coming out. Oh, shit. Somewhat after this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're right. Okay, one death, me. I died mentioning Star Wars. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You tried to get that under the radar, man. It was. We can't have an episode with no deaths. You said this in a previous episode. Shouldn't I happen. Heard it. Can't happen. Somebody has to die. Actually, everybody has to die. I, th- I think we all died anyways, you know, because the gun is good and the penis is evil. That's true. There you go, Benny. That's true. Thank you. That's true. I think, uh, you know, I think we're all exterminated by men wearing red diapers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On horseback. I love it. I love it. Um, all right, let's move on to the ratings. Ratings. I would like to go later in the ratings. All right, Benny, you go first. So um, I saw a little interview with John Borman where he said something along the lines of, uh, at some point, this movie went from a failure to a classic without actually ever passing through success. <laughs> 
Well said. Very much so. I don't know that I think this is a classic, um, but it was way better than I had anticipated, which I said at the beginning of the episode, I think. And, you know, there's just something about that way of portraying things, like creative way of portraying things from the 70s that's just like it's lost in time and probably for a good reason, but there's also something charming about it. And I'm, of course, referring to all the wacky, you know, interpretive dance and uh, miming and that kind of thing. Um, I had a good time watching this. So I don't know. I'm going to give it, uh, we'll give it six exposed nipples. <laughs> three, even, three even sets. Nice. Out of ten. I love it. That's great. Um Maybe I'll go next just because I'm going to poo-poo and I don't think it's deserving of it now that we've spoken about it for a while. There, on the on the algorithm, there are a handful, a small handful of movies that I actively hate and wish to be abolished from the universe. And this is not one of them. So it's definitely like, it's not a great movie. And, and I definitely don't know how I feel about recommending people watch it. Although now that we've spoken about it for a while... Maybe I recommend people watch it twice, because if you watch it once, you're going to fucking potentially hate it. Um, but this is not a great movie either. Like, I definitely think there's some kitschiness, and I think you make a good point, Ben, about some of the 70s elements being lost in time, and potentially for good reason. I, I do feel like like a Robot Jocks, which is currently at the bottom of the algorithm, is a better movie. I just enjoy it more. It's obviously a very different movie, but um, as such, I've given it a 0.9 rating. Wow. Not even a one. So it's it's pretty it's pretty low. I've definitely like I wanna stick with my original rating. I don't want this conversation to color it, but I do feel like this conversation makes me kind of think that I was a bit harsh and and um there are some things in this that are that are interesting for the time, maybe. So wait, what are those movies that you wish to be abolished from the universe? Like what 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 kind of numbers are we talking about for those movies? trying to get a sense for the algorithm here i think below a half of a point and what are those movies yeah the the like the active hatred is reserved for a very small handful of movies and so i kind of feel like point system wise like point zero point five like half a point out of ten and below is like you know the person should be smacked for making the fucking movie and so some examples there's the obvious examples of the original star wars trilogy which I don't think is a great um, a great example, but it's an example. I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, The Skin I Live In with Antonio Banderas or Martyrs. They're two kind of horror movies. Or the recent Darren Aronofsky movie, Mother, which is just like, I cannot recommend you don't watch it anymore. It's like the fucking worst thing I've ever seen in my life. And I hated every minute of it. Wow. There's like this like horrible, violent or rapey sequence in it. And when I was in the movie theater, there was like an old woman who was like trying to leave the theater but was blocked in and like having PTSD flashbacks. And like it was just like those types of movies, just movies that are just wow. so bad. That's awful. That they just shouldn't yeah. exist. Okay. Um, another one would be Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, maybe the Indie, Indiana Ugh. Jones movie. Like there's like. Never should have been made, yeah. Movies that ruined a good franchise or movies that are just so unnecessarily grotesque or Unnecessary. shitty. And this is not one of them. This is like campy and weird and silly and people could hate it all they want, but it doesn't fall into that lower category, if that makes sense. Right on. Okay. But it's still only, it doesn't even rate a one? Uh, I mean. Hey man, the numbers don't lie. I think that, <laughs> you know, I think that it probably does. Me. 
and my right. initial reaction and initial rating kind of didn't, you know? I think I think that my rating of 0.9 is based on only watching it once. I think that if I had watched it again based on what you guys have said about watching it again, I'd probably feel a little bit warmer to it. But I just was like confused and kind of like, well, that was weird. And then just left it because there's so much to do now and like other things to see. I didn't really give it a solid chance, maybe. I don't know. Super long winded, but. Is this, is this the lowest rating you've ever given? It is. Yeah, it is. Wow. I don't, I don't ever remember there being any sub ones. So <laughs> I gave Robot Jocks a 1.9, which is the lowest rating previous. That was this. damn low. Yeah. Wow, so it's got a whole. A whole digit over Zardots. That's like a large amount. I think I think robot like my my initial reaction was robot jocks was ten times better than Zardoz. And and it's a large amount bent on his algorithmic scale. That's what I mean. Like a logarithmic scale is like robot jocks based on this is literally ten times better than Zardoz, which I think is very harsh and based on this conversation is probably not overly accurate, but it would certainly not go higher than a 1.9. So maybe a 1.5. Wow. Maybe on second viewing. That upsets me to the point of I need a mustache combing break. (laughs) It's just, you know, I don't think it was a good movie. I think it had good moments and some interesting qualities and like there's the stuff we all talked about for the last hour and a half, but Mm. I don't know. I was hoping for more. I was hoping that our shit talking session would be like, like all of the various funny shit we've talked about and echoey Zardoz throughout the episodes, I thought this was going to be a lot sillier. And the fact that it was an art piece, like I just kind of was like, eh. So I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't in the right mood for it or something. I'm going to stop talking now because my rating's been like 15 minutes long, though. That has been. This is definitely your longest rating session <laughs> to date. I apologize. That's okay. Ben, what did you, what was your rating again? Uh, that would be six out of 10 nipples. Six. Okay. Unlike Algorithm, I do think that this is a cult classic. I, it, it is a cult classic. And while I thought that this was certainly looked goofy before I watched it in the first go-round, it's, it's definitely hard to get your bearings. Uh, hence my analogy of being blindfolded in the dark room trying to make coffee. Um, having watched it a second time, I really see what John Borman was going for here, and I really think there's some really cool concepts in it. You know, the execution, considering the fact that he only had one and a half million dollars and it was 1974, excuses a lot for me as well. So I think that he had to get really creative with visually how he was going to get across some of these ideas and some of these technologies. And I think he did a fantastic job with it, you know, and really, honestly, uh, it definitely needs to be made into a musical. There's no question about that. I would love to see a, a remake with modern technology, but I think that the cast is fantastic, man. Everybody was fully committed doing this, and this is something that we didn't really touch on, you know. And that really makes a, a, a large amount of difference. Like everybody was really, all the actors were fully committed into what they were doing, and they took it seriously. And they could have not taken it seriously because it's definitely a high concept film. But I thought it was really good all the way around. The music, all of that stuff. I mean, it exists in a very strange place because of when it was made and the technology. But honestly, like, I thought the makeup was fantastic, man. It, it was up there with um, the original Time Machine. And the original Time Machine came out in 68. And that is a science fiction movie that every science fiction fan should absolutely see because you want to talk about getting creative with makeup effects and doing a lot with very little, that movie 
definitely does that. So I sort of put it, this movie in the same company as that, you know, in terms of creativity. And I'm going to go ahead and give it a, I'm going to give it a 6.5. You know, I kind of feel like I should go a little bit higher, but you know, it is what it is. It's, it's good. And I actually probably would watch this again. So you, would you both recommend this movie get watched by people that haven't seen it? Absolutely. I, I would recommend it. And I would recommend it because I think anybody, like if you want to see a great example of doing a lot with a little and really getting creative with how you're, you're conveying your ideas on film, I think this is a great example of that and, and how to do it with very little money. And, you know... The story itself is actually really good, you know? Like, there's a lot of cool things going on with the story. I mean, the story here is way better than a lot of the garbage that we've seen in the last 20 years come out in, in cinema. So, yeah, I would absolutely recommend anybody watch it at least one time, if not twice. Mm. Benny? Yeah, I think it's it's worth a watch, for sure. Um, maybe not for everyone. I'm sure some people are going to see this and be very confused and uh, be very pissed at me for making the recommendation that they <laughs> sit through it. But some people will actually get some enjoyment out of it, like I did. Mm. It's funny because I like artsy-fartsy movies and just, I don't know, maybe this just didn't hit me the right way. But, oh well. Well, look, Chad, in your defense, it didn't hit me the right way the first viewing. Mm. And it really wasn't until the second, and then even more so when I did a little bit of reading afterward, that I really was like, wow, this is actually um, something cool here. Yeah. Well, I mean, also, it was part of the experience is, is, is the weirdness of it, you know? Yeah. That's like finding humor in the weirdness of it. Um, you know, some, some movies are just like, they're, it's kind of a so bad it's good scenario here, you know? Yeah. Um it's something that's just so bizarre that, you know, whatever you can have some uh edibles or whatever your choice of getting goofy is and uh sit down and just sort of like be mystified by its weirdness and and have a good laugh at it. I think you're onto something there, man. I definitely think this is a like stone-ish movie or, you know, take some mushrooms and watch this movie. Yep. I think that would very much make it more, I don't know. It would be the uh, the osmosis kind of situation. If you want to absorb this movie, you need to be on something, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, it might, might crank up the entertainment value of it a, a notch or two. Or at least to walk, watch it with that state of mind, you know? Yeah. To have that kind of openness about it. Right on. Right on, man. Oh, I want to shout out, I want to shout out Kay on Instagram for the first official outside of the show community death on the... Uh, Predator posts where he mis misspoke and spoke about Murdoch versus Riggs and edited it and said that he died and we confirmed it, which I think is great. Murtaugh. That's true. That was great. That was a nice uh, out of show death. I love that he chucked in his own edit that he died and then you confirmed it, Kev, which is just, yeah. I love the fact that we have our first community death and so. Uh, no, that's great. Congratulations. Kay, you are the first official dead uh dead listener and i definitely think that like if and when we get a like you're dead t-shirt made i'll send you one man yeah excelsior sir i was just gonna say i we can't do it right now but when we do uh when we have it together to do the merch that we're working on we will send you a first death shirt of some kind yeah will be something something there for sure yeah that sounds like a great idea uh so congrats I just want to give another shout out to our uh, our good friends, the Rolling Stallones, who uh, we love their music. They love the show. It's a match made in heaven, I guess. Uh, they have a new album that is coming out, 
And it's not out yet, but they have thrown up some teasers on their Instagram page. So check out at Rolling Stallones. You can also find the link to their band camp in there. If you haven't listened to the first album, all jokes aside, you got to check it out because it's awesome. We loved it. We loved it so much. We wove it into like one of our whole shows. So uh, check that out and keep an eye out for that. That's all I got for shout outs. Yeah, I'll check a show notes link to uh, to the teaser. Nice. And uh, Orange Sassy Swirl, what's going on for next week? Uh, thank you. Thank you, my new name. I love it. Um, next week, we are excited to talk about the first half of season two of The Boys. Yes. I didn't realize it was a weekly release, but um, just like last time around, we'll do the first four episodes. Well, it's like they've been doing binging for so long. Now they're going to go back to old format and That's release it. it weekly. Stupid. Whatever. It's fine. But I'm pumped. I'm pumped to check it out. I hope they. I hope they hit it out of the park. Well, I yeah, I think they will, and uh, I'm actually glad that we only have to digest four episodes to do the show, and then we can revisit the other four, you know, in, in a month or so. Yep. So that's going to be good. But The Boys was incredibly good. I, I think most of you that listen to those episodes agree. That was definitely one of the best shows of 2019. So, yeah, uh, yeah be sure to watch it and check that out and join us, rather. And also, I, I would like to say also that – um, we got a lot of great feedback on the uh, book club episode. Um, you know, e- even a lot of people chiming in to say like, hey, I haven't been, really been reading anything or I don't really read sci-fi, but I'm going to give this a listen or I'm going to give this a read. And uh, I was pretty stoked about that. And I think uh, I think we were all, all were pretty stoked about that. We enjoyed doing that. So uh, thanks to all of you who uh, got down with that. Yeah, I mean, again, my perspective on the book club is we're trying to share stuff that's not available in movie and TV format that's great storytelling and worth a a listen. So I'm stoked that there are people that are interested in picking it up. Absolutely, man. Okay, so yeah, that's about it. Thanks for joining us for this uh, weird movie and, uh, you know, hopefully entertaining episode. And beyond that... I was trying to think of a Zardoz quote to take us out. <laughs> Zardoz. Yeah. Zardoz. And Sargon. Go forth and exterminate. <laughs> Zardoz commands it. An old man calls me. The voice of the turtle is on the land again. Or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking movie. Oh, my God. All right. See you, everybody. See you. Ciao. That's going to wrap up this week's episode. Folks, if you would like to support our show, you can do so in a variety of great ways. You can rate us and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Republic, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Overwatch, Fortnite, all of that stuff. And leaving a review is really fantastic. It really encourages other people to check out our show. So please do that. You can also tell somebody to check out the show. Word of mouth is incredibly powerful and incredibly important, so tell somebody to check out the show. You can follow us on most social media at EBD Podcast, certainly on Instagram, where there is uh, usually a large conversation going on about whatever nonsense we're talking about, so join us there, please. You can make requests using our email, askebd. Uh, Sorry, that's the Twitter hashtag, askebd. And also our email is contact at ebd.fm. Find the show notes for today's episode in your podcast app of choice or at our website, ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 71. Thanks so much for joining us, everybody, and we will see you next time.
fucking groundhog. <laughs> it's a weed. Pu- they push. They fucking push over my goddamn my Rose of Sharon trees, and they fucking climb up them and eat the goddamn leaves. Uh, I feel like we just like ended up in Caddyshack for a minute. Yeah, we we did actually. You did actually. Anyway, I'm kind of I'm kind of like Bill Murray now. I see him out there, and I start trying to chase him. Anyway, 